Okay, I'm back in. Let's just fucking do this. Are we recording? Can you hear me? All right. Okay, so I'm just going to start and then I'll try to limit my talking. Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast. Join us as we share our personal Top 5 lists for a variety of topics. Each episode, we'll explore a new topic and discuss our favorite picks, ranging from music, movies, food, travel destinations, board games, roller coasters, to whatever. Nothing is off limits, and everyone is wrong, even when we think we are right. Whether you're looking for new recommendations or just love hearing incorrect opinions, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Zach Rancor, and with me as always is... Tom Lockhart. Hey Tom, how are you? I'll keep this hey, brief. I apologize. I'm doing pretty good uh, over here, and you know, yeah. You know, oh God, <laughs> I'm doing amazing. Good, love to hear it. Good, love to hear it. And we also have Eric Shane. How are we doing today, guys? Wish my damn computer would work, but that's okay. So I apologize if there's any audio issues. Let's just jump into the topic. So. January 2nd, 2024, a date which will live in infamy. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, because today we celebrate our Independence Day. Vini, Vidi, Vici. Words are great, and although some people claim they know all the words, I know all the words, the true test is putting them together to make a wonderful and thoughtful speech. History has been shaped by famous speeches, but which ones are the best? Today, we discuss that very question by listing our top five speeches. To enhance discussion, we did not share our lists with each other, nor are we experts in this category. We're just a bunch of buffoons who like speeches. Thomas, start us off. Okay, I'm going to start us off with the most important speech that's ever been made in movie history. And I'm just going to give you the last line of it right here. If you don't let us fuck this asshole, we are going to have our dicks and pussies covered in shit. That's pretty great. That's a pretty great speech. It is a great speech and perfectly, perfectly summarizes how the world works. Because it's true. There's dicks out there, mm -hmm. there's pussies out there, and there's assholes. And we need those dicks. Even though they fuck pussies, they also fuck assholes. <laughs> Yeah, this podcast episode starting off <laughs> going real hard in the paint i i listened to this speech again on youtube like four different times it is so good it is the best bit of acting i've ever it seen is. from a puppet uh screw the muppets they have nothing on those beautiful marionettes from team america uh i love that movie so much <laughs> because it, it so just encapsulates you know america at that time police in the world and we we know best <laughs> and it's just uh, such a good speech at the end of that movie oh i'll talk a little bit more about that later with one of my of, speeches of course one. you will i mean someone i look, love that. like somebody finally outdid alec just, baldwin in acting that's all i want people to know <laughs> uh, that's and that's saying something man yeah i mean you brought you bring it up because with that that speech is so cool because it came from the drunk dude in the bar, <laughs> in the random bar. We all know that guy. Whoa, hey there, Chuck, you got to slow down there. Chuck. You know, whoa, okay. Uh, we all know that of course, guy. Followed by about uh, a minute and a half of vomiting nonstop from a puppet. Also a great scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That, well, that was a little rough. <laughs> that was a little rough. That was one of the rougher scenes in the entire. You gave up on life, didn't you? <laughs> oh, God. Let's, watch, let's just watch Team America. That was 
Yeah, that's a pretty good movie. I love it. Yep. Okay. But yeah. All right. So if that's your number one, then I'll move into my number one here. So my list, I there's a book I could have done this multiple times because there's a lot of fictional speeches that I like. Obviously, we you know we mentioned that we could go fictional or historical. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to go historical. But then I had to limit myself and I decided I'm just going to go historical 20th century speeches because <laughs> <laughs> I could go more recent. I could go far back, you know, further back. It, it's OK. So first one, chronological order. I'm going here. This is from Theodore Roosevelt's speech called Citizenship in a Citizenship in a Republic. He gave it on April 23rd, 1910. He was at the University of Paris in France when he gave the speech. He was uh, freshly out of office at this point, and he had went on a safari, as one does after they have left office. He went on a safari, in, as only Theodore Roosevelt can do. And when he was done in, uh, in Africa, he was invited to the University of Paris to come give a speech, and he decided he was going to speak on the importance of uh, uh, the importance of actually doing things. This is what people commonly refer to as the man in the arena speech. Uh, I actually have it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of an excerpt from it here. I, I have these up before when we were going to have these conversations, but um, yeah, this is what everyone you've seen on, on memes or whatever that people post around on Instagram and on Facebook, the man in the arena, uh, you, you know, the one that's like, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That that speech, you're familiar with that? No. I love <laughs> love this speech. It's not so much. No, nope. you don't know. Uh, well, I'd read the whole thing, but it's I don't you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to imitate TR here. I'm not going to do that. So. Uh, there is um, another line further up in the speech that I really like that um, he's really not talking about criticism so much as he's talking about cynicism. He's talking about avoiding cynicism. Um, he says the poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride in cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether it is achievement or that noble effort, which even if it fails, comes to a second achievement, a cynical habit of thought and of speech, a readiness to criticize work, which the critic himself never tries to perform an intellectual aloofness, which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these marks, not as the possessor would feign to think of superiority, but of weakness. They mark the men unfit to bear their part painfully in the stern strife of living, who seek in the affection of contempt of the achievement of others to hide from others and from themselves in their own weakness. In other words, y'all bunch of bitches. <laughs> Any, anybody can criticize. Anybody can talk shit. And anybody can criticize. We talk, we've talked about that before from, I've talked about it from the host and trivia. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's got something to say. Everyone's like, Hey, you should do this. instead. said, no, that's no fun. You should do this. Like, you know what? Shut up. You couldn't do it this way. I wouldn't do it like that. You couldn't have done it that way. 
everyone, you know, it, it's okay. It's one thing to be critical or have a, a engage in criticism. He's not really going against criticism. He's going against cynicism. He's saying we got to guard against cynicism in the scope of, uh, of being a citizen in a Republic. It's important to avoid cynicism in your thought. So as we approach 2024 and we know what comes with 2024, uh, it's a good reminder to try to avoid cynicism in our thoughts. So it's going to be an interesting year guys. Hell yeah. I dig mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm... So I got a whole bunch of these. Like I said, I'm not going to recite all the speech because <laughs> it's too long and I'm not going to impersonate them because it's too ridiculous. But well, yeah. I'm going to say that I'm glad you're here to give some history because not a single one of mine is going to be from history. It's all from, from entertainment. No, I, figured. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you had that one covered my brother. And a lot of the ones I've, I was thinking about mentioning, it, I'm sure you're all yeah. over it. I got. I I am the same, Tom. I'm doing <laughs> yeah, just good. entertainment. We got gotcha. one history guy here. I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for my first one, I am going back to like, I think 1994. And I'll just read it. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's the fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. <laughs> oh, and for everyone who can't see that, Eric is toting a gun. <laughs> and it's and just like in the movies. And oh, that was that was epic. So Independence Day. I know you guys probably can't hear me for this, but that's fine. Uh, fantastic film. I remember when I was a kid and I saw it in theaters. My older sister told me there were people in theaters before this is before the Internet, pretty much, guys. So like we had to go by word of mouth, but people would get up and start applauding um, during the movie. So that was that was really great. So they would they would stand up during the movie and actually start clapping after that speech. So I did it when I was a kid. But Independence Day. Oh, yeah, that was the one of the first ones I thought of when we were talking about bringing up the subject. That's been in my head forever. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. We saw it in the uh, drive through. This was the first time I saw it or yeah, yeah drive in or whatever. Um, anyway, yeah, it's an incredible speech and I just happened to have a rifle sitting over here. So it's just, <laughs> I just thought it fit. to do it. You know, since we're not, well, I just got to do it. It's not loaded. It's fine. Probably not loaded. No, it's not loaded. Okay? Yeah, it's not loaded. Um, uh, <laughs> you're not it. having drinks right now, hopefully. <laughs> no, no. That's fine. Okay. Uh, My second is uh, we just got past the holiday season, and this is from my favorite uh, Christmas movie, my favorite version of uh, Christmas Carol, and that is Scrooged. And it is Bill Murray's speech at the end. Uh, I think it's some of Bill Murray's best acting. You hear like cracks in his voice. I can believe that Bill Murray is both the dick that he is at the beginning and the, the new man at the end, I could see both sides of that Bill Murray. Cause I've seen him in movies as both of those things where he's lovable or he's a dick, but he's still lovable. Um, but it always gets me. I watched that whole movie over Christmas because I love it. And 
the moment that always gets me is after he does his big speech and the little kid who's a mute walks up next to him and he says, did I forget something, big man? And the little kid finally says his words. God bless us, everyone. And it gets me choked up in the throat every time. I, it just it can't not get me choked up. I love that speech. And I think we should all listen to it's it at Christmas time because it's about being together. Yeah, I'd actually completely forgotten about that entire movie until we had uh, an episode on, I think, Top 5 Christmas Movie or whatever. You brought it mm -hmm. up. You brought up Scrooge. I don't know if it was this year or the year before that you did that. And uh, I had to remember that speech. It's been a while. I think it was a year ago you reminded we had that. Yeah, episode. it was probably yeah, last year. Ugh, these episodes fly by. It's crazy. It's true. It's true. <laughs> We're here to help mark the time. If, it feels like every episode we do, we just did last week. And it's like, wait, that was three years ago? God damn. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while, man. We're over 100 episodes now. <sighs> Speaking of going on for a long period of time. and I don't know. That was a bad segue. I don't care. Uh, this one is, I know Zach is very much going to appreciate this one as you will, uh, Tom. Uh, this is from July 4th, 1939. This is Lou Gehrig's farewell to baseball. So Lou Gehrig, he was the original Iron Man of baseball. They, they thought he, his career would kind of go on forever, really. I mean, he was he started 2,130 consecutive games is what it was. 2,130 consecutive games. Came to an end at age 36. He was stricken with a crippling disease known as ALS. Colloquially, it now bears his name. We know it as Lou Gehrig disease. Um, horrible, horrible, horrible situation. And uh, I mean, this is, you got to understand at the time he was in this age of baseball, he was probably the best out of all of them. And that is seriously saying something when you consider his contemporaries were Babe Ruth and Ted Williams and Lou Gehrig might've been the best out of all. So um, what's really striking about the speech is that he talked about in his retirement, how, he had gotten a bad break and everybody had been reading about the bad break that he had gotten. He said, fans for the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break. I got yet today. I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I have been in ballparks for 17 years and have never received anything but kindness and encouragement from you fans. And he's talked about the guys around him. He said, who wouldn't, which of you wouldn't consider it the highlight of your career to associate with them for even one day? Uh, who wouldn't, considered an honor to have known Jacob Rupert, also the builder of baseball's greatest empire, Ed Burrow. He's Ed Barrow. He's going around talking about all these wonderful people that he's, that he's worked with. He's talked about, he says, when you have a wonderful mother-in-law who takes sides with you and squabbles against her own daughter, that's something. When you have a father and a mother and who work all their lives so that you can have an education and build your body, it's a blessing. When you have a wife who has been a tower of strength and shown more courage than you dreamed existed, that's the finest I know. So I close in saying that I might have had a tough break, but I have an awful lot to live for. That is insanely brave considering he was staring face. He was staring death in the face. He was staring it right down the barrel. Just that that's insane bravery. It's an all timer because we're reminded that with that speech we're when left to its device, nature is the ultimate decider. And sometimes these things come down to chance and in his case, really terrible luck. And when it happens, hard as it may be, impossible even, 
it is so important to try to remember that just by virtue of the fact that we're even sitting here contemplating this, we are some of the luckiest beings to have ever existed. And if you've known love and if you've known comfort in life, you are one of the luckiest people ever. And it is just once again, a reminder that we are not guaranteed to make it to retirement. We are not guaranteed to make the 89 years old. So don't forget to live while you're alive. Um, staring, staring that end of life bravely like that and inspiring all of us that that's, that's an all timer, all time speech for Lou Gehrig. Indeed. I got so, nothing to add to that's that. That's my number that's two. Just, just good stuff. <laughs> I dig it. Love it. Love to hear it. And you said it so eloquently and beautifully. I try. Not as good as him, obviously, you know, but yeah, nah, you were better. <laughs> okay. So for mine, for my number two, I am jumping to one of my favorite books and films of all time, our film series, Return of, or The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and specifically Aragorn's speech at the Black Gate. Now, if I was a writer of, of Rohan or Gondor, I'd be scared at the Black Gates. I mean, you know, anyone would be scared going into Mordor. But uh, Aragorn is there, and this is why he's the king. So he says, hold your ground, hold your ground, sons, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day, an hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day, this day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. And then they go, ah! And then they fight, and then he goes, for Frodo. And then a single tear goes down. Um... I, I do that I do that a lot. I go for Frodo and I like pretend to cry as I walk <laughs> through things. He goes so hard, then he goes so soft. But yeah, that's all I gotta say. Return of the King, Aragorn at the Black Gate. Tom was laughing because again I picked up a random weapon I had with just within arm's reach of me and started lifting it up. And this time <laughs> it was it, a, this time it was a blade. But this is one of the this is the smaller one. I was actually looking around for the machete I know is laying around here somewhere. In a, you know, an actual sword. It's in here somewhere. I gotta oh, I'm excited for each weapon you're going to bring up whenever Zach's like going through. If he keeps bringing up these <laughs> awesome speeches, I'm gonna. Yeah, that's a great one. Obviously, we've talked. How many times have we talked about Lord of the Rings on this uh, podcast? We know yeah, where we stand. That it's okay. <laughs> Damn straight. It's all right. I would watch it again sometime about 32 million more times. Um <laughs> It's also great when you're sick and you're sitting at home not doing anything, just turn it on because you know it's especially the extended cut because it's not like you're going anywhere. Yeah, I, I got so. six hours to watch a single movie. <laughs> so moving on to my third one. Well, guys, we knew this was going to be on here because it's amazing. Um, and that is they can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Mel Gibson. Oh, I love you, even though you kind of are a terrible person, but also you're very, very good at making movies. Actually, you know what? You're not very good at making movies because Braveheart has so many mistakes in it, <laughs> like seeing car 
Oh, it's not even remotely. Well, well, I'm just talking like movie making mistakes, like having cars in the background (laughs) of shots (laughs) and things like that. I'm not even talking about historical mistakes where it is clearly not accurate in a lot of ways. Um, But but this speech where he's rallying all of his uh, Scotsmen to take on the English who have more people. You guys can't win. Yes, we can, because William Wallace is going to get us up there, and we are going to go and kick the British's ass, because the British always gets their ass kicked, right? I mean, we did it. Yeah, it's true. true. (laughs) Happens a lot. Just watch the movies. Every movie, they are evil people, but we all kick their ass. Happens every time. (laughs) I'm going to have to, we're going to have to ask Vicky's dad, because I'm pretty sure they don't... uh... The movies they show over there in uh, England are a little bit uh, different. Different. different yeah. I, I've seen different. movies over there. Sure, they were just American movies. Because um, I saw, what was it? You the know. Dark Knight Rises. And I saw Ted over there. Exactly like they were over here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> eh, you know what I mean. If they're, tell- if they're telling that story, then... the if they're If they're telling the story of Braveheart, they're telling it from you know, the British, <laughs> even Scottish standpoint, not just an American making the movie about not even you know, an American an Australian. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, that's fair. An Australian yeah. making a movie about Scottish people is just perfect. They know all about it. Alba, cobra. In Scotland forever. Sure. I literally just looked it up. I wanted to know what he was because he always yelled out something. No, he was actually saying something. He was saying Alba Gubra, which means hmm. Scotland forever. You learn something every day. I I was today years old. I found that out just now. That was the other speech I was thinking of when I was coming up with uh, fictional speeches. So, you know, if we, you know. He, he, he was saying, I love you. Always have. Uh, I, yeah. I used to say that to Whitney <laughs> all the time, and she would call me Wally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, giving her all she's got gotten because uh, i i I, right. I told her over and over again it's not a war movie it's a love story and she finally agreed once she actually watched the whole thing so it's all about one man's love all right so moving on to my number three speaking of speaking of uh this is winston churchill we shall fight on the beaches and you mentioned it zach in the intro already um it's important. This was June 4th, 1940 house of commons in London that he gave this speech. Um, Churchill, Winston Churchill was an incredibly educated man, very well-educated man. Uh, he was a student of ancient rhetoric as well as warfare. Uh, he was one of the great orders of the 20th century. He fully understood the moment that he was in. And if you need some context here, June 4th, 1940, what was going on? At that time, the Nazis were in Paris. France was on the verge of complete collapse and falling. Its government was making plans for exile. Uh, Dugal was running around looking for help at anywhere he can get it. But France was on the verge of falling. Uh, they had just the British had just evacuated from Dunkirk the week prior. It was like a miraculous uh, rescue attempt to get the hell out of there. Um, and the only reason they were still capable of fighting warfare at that point is because they got out of Dunkirk, because they were able to pull that off. Uh, the U.S. was still an isolationist nation at that point. They were reluctant to directly enter into the war. 
Russia at that point, they, they had agreed to split Poland in half with the Nazis. So they were just sitting there. They weren't doing, they were just bunkering down. And then the rest of the West, <clears throat> the rest of the West had either declared neutral or they were being smashed by the Wehrmacht. So they were on the knife's edge of obliteration at this time. So there was a lot of talk about survival, about survival of the monarchy, survival of the, of the nation and what it meant. And Churchill gave a speech. He had said that he said, I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected and if the best arrangements are made as they're being made, we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. They were talking about invading the UK. They were going to invade. Um, he's talking about, he said that it is the, uh, the resolve of his majesty's government, every man of them, it is the will of parliament and the nation, the British empire and the French Republic linked together in their cause and in their need will defend to the death, their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. That is balls. That's that's insane, insanely brave. The there at that moment in history, it looked like the Nazis were going to completely roll over everybody, and they were coming, and they knew it, and there was no doubt they were coming. But you know, shit, as they say, happened. <laughs> uh, Hitler invaded Russia. That's one of the all-time whoopsie daisies because <laughs> now that's Russia. Russia's pulled into the war and uh, allies with Britain and the the following year the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor uh, that's a whoopsie daisy because now the US is into the war and you know here we go from there but at that moment in that very dark moment uh, in that darkest hour um, that's crazy rave so it was that speech was broadcast everywhere it was broadcast over here it was broadcast everywhere it could possibly reach so um, yeah, one of the great all-time speeches, uh, Winston Churchill. And there was a bunch of Churchill speeches I could have picked from, but I had to go with that one. Well, I'm glad you did. So. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's my number three. And no, I just know I couldn't possibly do a, a Churchill impersonation. I, I don't like, no, I can't. You were about to try. I heard it coming out a little. <laughs> I was. I'm so close. I want to try so bad. He has one of those just great, distinctive, gravelly voices. But I just, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. I'll get there someday. Just watch The Crown. One of the seasons of The Crown has Churchill. <sighs> yeah, he, uh, Lithgow yeah. did a good job. But there's a, there's been a number of, uh, I, I recently 
uh, well, I, I saw a, a few uh, different movies recently that had Churchill in it. Um, Churchill, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, the little bit of The Crown with Churchill in it. Uh, I Countdown to D-Day was another one. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, Churchill, my number three. Uh, we shall fight on the beaches. Awesome, Eric. I completely agree with that. So for my third, I'm going back to the Lord of the Rings. This time I am going to the Two Towers because the Two Towers is excellent. And it is at the end when um, uh, Frodo is at, uh, I can't remember where he's at, Minas, Minas Tirith, not Minas Tirith, Minas Morgul, something like that. Anyways, um, he explains, uh, Frodo says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in these stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't, because they were holding on to something. Then Frodo says, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam says, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Hold up a knife, Eric. (laughs) Hold the ring. (laughs) Eric found a ring. (laughs) Should I I just be uh, Gollum and just be all sad at that point then, too? Or should I be like a Nazgul and go, ah! Always choose Nazgul. Always. (laughs) Yeah, so I absolutely love this speech. I mean, there are so many things that will make me cry in Lord of the Rings just because I hold them so dearly. And I'll say this, hopefully this doesn't cut out so you guys can hear me. But I think the way that uh, Return of the King should have ended, you know the whole scene, my friends, you bow to no one? Yeah. So it should have ended with them doing that, then everyone bowing to the hobbits, then... Mary and Pippin bowing to Sam and Frodo, then Frodo bowing to Sam. Because Sam is the reason this story works. He is the driving force, the thing that gets Frodo to where he needs to go. And the ring would not have been destroyed if it were not for Sam and his his never-ending optimism uh, amidst all the danger. And and he is one of the greatest characters in in books and film of all time yeah no we stand sam uh i wouldn't uh that particular version of the ending is a little um i'd be a little much i i get what you're getting at though i get what you're getting at i'm picking up what you're putting down we stand sam we know we simp for sam we know that oh yeah we know that oh yeah um how that movie should have ended blame it on tolkien he's the one who couldn't like he had to keep going and going and going and going he couldn't just have like an epilogue or a uh he, he you know he couldn't have an addendum on the end about how they end. You know, no, no, it's got to be. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to tell Tolkien how to write. Yeah. So, all right, man. That's that's cool. good. So I think Tom. Thomas, all number right. four. Well, let me just uh, do my little speech here. <sighs> the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. 
those who attempt to poison and destroy <laughs> my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then, ba 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 ba. Oh, Samuel Jackson, <laughs> you do it way better. Um, I'm glad that Eric has a, a Nerf gun this time. <laughs> I was looking for a pistol. I was looking for an actual pistol, but it's upstairs. Uh, but that entire scene is great where he's just there in there trying to get their briefcase. And when he just kind of shoots the guy on the couch, like out of nowhere and is just like, oh, are you finished? Well, let me retort. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> that was one of the most badass moments in all of cinema. Oh. <coughs> Iconic. Yeah. Quick aside, are you starting to understand why I don't let anybody into my office? <laughs> <laughs> it is a da- it's so yeah, booby traps everywhere. You're like Dwight from the office. Yeah. You're like Dwight from the office, Mister A knife. No, no, yeah, A knife. Yeah, no, nobody, no, no, you don't come into my office. That's 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 you know, if you step in the wrong place, you you might die. <laughs> you got landmines so. in there. Clay anyway, what, what do we got? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny any of that. Anyhow, no, that's a, that was a great speech um, from Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. That, that's pretty great. Pretty amazing. Uh, you want to move on to your number All four? Right. All right, my number four. Skipping forward a little bit in time here. And it is Eisenhower's farewell address. He gave it on January 17th, 1961. Um, it's easy to forget now because so much has happened since then. But there was a time when Eisenhower was like, he was the toast of of the nation. Uh, this man was the supreme Allied commander in Europe in World War II. This is the man who planned the D-Day invasion. Um, he's the one who planned D-Day. He's the one who led the joint military operation that uh, that liberated France, that ultimately defeated the Nazis. Um, if you look back at our elect- presidential electoral history, you will see there's a period of 36 years uh, from 32 to 68 where we had nothing but democratic presidents, except for there was a eight year span in the middle there from 53 through 61, their 52 election where uh, Dwight Eisenhower was elected uh, as a Republican. Um, both parties wanted him. He ultimately, you know, he's a Republican. So that's, that's what he did. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, he was a mostly popular president, uh, not like FDR, popular and definitely not like JFK popular. Nobody, nobody sees numbers like that anymore. Forget it. But still his, his approval numbers was, he was averaged like 65% approval over his eight years. An average of 65% is insane. Unheard of in today's parlance. Forget it. No way. No Democrat or Republican can hit 65. That's a fever dream. So um, he was far more active in civil rights than people remember. I mean, this was a guy who, um, he activated federal troops to Little Rock when the Supreme Court said you have to integrate the schools and the officials in Little Rock just weren't doing it. And there was a mob preventing them from doing it anyway. And they're just like, oh, what are you going to do? Can't do it. There's a mob here. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So the president said, OK, well, I guess I got to send in the troops. <laughs> and that's what led in the Little Rock nine. He had the balls to do that. And that, that was a hell. That speech I almost put on here instead, because that was a speech he addressed to the nation from the white house on TV. One of the first ones ever to do that. Um, and he had to he very carefully explained his reasons as to why he did that because it's such a no, but no presidents had to do that since grant sent in the troops to take out the KKK. Like that was the last time that had happened. Um, pattern anyway. Um, so when 
Eisenhower left and the country had changed quite a bit from 52 to, to 60, he, he saw that the federal budget was more than half the federal budget was allocated for defense purposes leading up to World War II from the time of our founding all the way up to World War II. We didn't keep a standing army as much, not a huge standing army, really. We didn't necessarily have to. We were friends with Canada. Mexico had basically collapsed and nobody could get across the oceans to do anything to us anyway. And we were kind of isolationist, like I mentioned before. <clears throat> so anytime we did have a conflict, we would raise up the troops and then there would be a, 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 a demobilization. Well, that did not happen after World War II. We didn't. We never demobilized. We built up to fight World War II, and we kept the numbers at that, and actually continued to grow it because of the threat of communism. And Ike was definitely nervous about communism, as everybody was at the time. But he also saw another problem with it, and he couldn't do anything while he was commander in chief. But he did use his farewell address to warn the nation of this growing, what he referred to as the military industrial complex. See what, what he thought was there's a lot of money and influence being the threat of money and influence in politics by people who make money off of war will inevitably change us. If we're not very, very careful, if we're not watching the people who are supposed to be watching them. So he had said in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. That is a powerful time when he's leaving office, still a popular president, to warn us all that, hey, we are changing in a way that we all, uh, duty as citizens, need to keep an eye on. So, And he, I mean, he told the future. Because we still have not, uh, it's far and away the most powerful nation on earth. Not even close. It's not even, it's not even close. We are everywhere. I think well I saw said. something. What's the name of the speech? Uh, talking about the, uh, yeah, the, uh, it, it was his farewell, farewell address. Eisenhower's farewell address. Um, somebody was pointing out how like, oh, China's building up their, you know, their Navy. They've got two aircraft carriers now. They've got like two older style aircraft carriers. Uh, and there's. 26 of them in the world or whatever. Uh, and then there's super carriers, right? Super care. One super carrier has the combat capability of seven of those aircraft carriers. There's 11 or 14 of them in the world. We own every one of them. Um, our Navy's insane, insanely powerful. We're everywhere. So, um, and it serves its purpose. It does serve a purpose because we have not had, anything remotely resembling a World War II style, uh, style or uh, size conflict ever since. You're talking about a war that killed over 75 million people. You know, we've had nothing remotely close to that in four in six years, rather. So, yeah, I understand the, the concepts, the, the struggles with balancing 
it be, being opposed to colonialism, being opposed to imperialism, being opposed to being our, the world's police and we as taxpayers having to pay for it on the flippity flop. World War Three is not necessarily inevitable, and a lot of that is because of our power and influence. Um, so I'm not here to uh, just something to think about. Anyway, Eisenhower, this is this was the man who won World War Two. And in a Republican, no less. And he was warning the country of the growing military industrial complex. So that's something that's powerful. And I can't we need to we need to remember that we need to think about it. So. Uh, I think what you were aiming for there, Eric, was America. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> to bring us back to Team America. America. Fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, <laughs> I told you I was going to circle back to that a little bit, didn't I? Yeah. Told you I was getting there. It's a little while. Uh, yeah. It took me a minute. So, yeah, you should definitely watch that speech on YouTube. Um, he was the first president, I th- believe, the first president to uh, address the nation on television. Uh, certainly do it routinely. Uh, so his farewell address was televised and it's on YouTube. It's not very long. Uh, you should listen to it. I think it's a refreshing uh, cadence that you don't expect from a president anymore. Presidents don't sound like that anymore. He's very, you know, uh, good, give it a listen. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I know that it's going to be a long day. I'm going to need to hydrate. And what's the best way to hydrate? Well, water. But sometimes we need a little bit more. So the downside of of sweating a whole bunch and and just water is we don't have enough electrolytes, potassium, or essential vitamins needed that can keep our body going throughout the day. But there's a really, really great solution. It's actually super easy and it's tasty. Grab a Liquid IV. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning and before a daily workout, when you're feeling run down, after a long night out, and even at festivals like I'm going to, Austin City Limits. I absolutely love Liquid IV uh, for all my hikes, bike rides, snowboarding, and backpacking trips. There's 12 delicious flavors uh, with a bunch that can keep your hydration routine exciting. Strawberry, guava, lemon, lime, uh, strawberry, lemonade, and many, many more. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. With three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, they are made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. The best news of all is that as a listener of this show and the Don't Be Crazy podcast, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code DBCRAZYPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop for better hydration today using promo code DBCRAZYPOD at liquidiv.com. Thank you and stay hydrated. Okay, I'll jump to my number four uh, for the sake of time. Um, so, uh, 1980 U.S. men's hockey team defeated Russia in Lake Placid, New York. It was the miracle on ice, and of course, they made a movie about it because sports movies are incredible. And this movie stars Kurt Russell, amongst other people. But uh, Kurt Russell, as Coach Herb Brooks, has a very, very, very motivational sports speech. There are tons of awesome sports speeches out there, so it's hard to pick one, but this one always resonates with me. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them 10 times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. 
Uh, oops, I messed up. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And that's Herb Brooks. And uh, that's Miracle. It's a great movie. You should watch it. I love watching it uh, over and over again. And uh, yeah, great speech. Absolutely. I don't happen to have a hockey stick uh, in my office that I was going to lift up. <laughs> Do you have a puck? Uh, no, sadly, I don't. Do you have some sort of club? No, nothing like that. Uh, yeah. That's close somewhere. enough to a hockey stick. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, right? Yeah. Not, not immediately with our <laughs> arms reach, but you know. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So I guess I'll move cool. on to my number five. Um, mine comes Go from ahead, a Rocky movie, and, but it's, you know, one of the less likely by Rocky movie. Rocky Balboa is the one, and it's when he's talking to his child mm. on the streets because his kid's like, you're you're making my life tougher by trying to get back into boxing because at this point he's an old man and he's going to have an exhibition fight with the, the champion. Um, I play this for Whitney before she goes to do an exam uh, because I think that it's an inspirational, especially this part. Nobody hits as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And it gets me every time. And I, I send Whitney that video while she's on the way to the testing facility so that it gets to her before she gets out of her car and can't use her phone anymore so that she can watch it. And it's just, it's inspiring every time. You, that's how you win. You got to get hit by life and get back up. That's all you got to do. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a good, uh, good monologue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's definitely empowering monologue. I love it. And it's, I, I, yeah, that movie motivates me. I knew Tom, I knew you'd have that one too, specifically yep. that one. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's great. Rocky Balboa is fantastic. There's nothing negative to say about it in my humble opinion. <laughs> All right. Are we moving on to my fifth and final already? Yes, sir. Uh, hey, quick and dirty. Let's get her done. So mine is just a few months later. This is John F. Kennedy. This is, uh, he gave this speech. May 25th, 1961. This is about four months after he was inaugurated, so very early into his presidency. This speech is called The Decision to Go to the Moon. So I was just talking to you about uh, the fear of communism. I was talking to you about the military-industrial complex. Well, uh, the commies, the Soviets, were kicking our ass in the space race at this point. They were. They got Sputnik up first. They were well ahead of us in the space race up to this point. Uh, that's high ground. So... Uh, we, we decided to step on it. Kennedy decided to step on it. He uh, made the decision, um, you know, to to put as much money as he could into the space program. Chris Jeff, you know, he was talking about his, you know, they were the first to put men in space. He was using that as evidence that communism superior over the decadent capitalism or whatever. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we were kind of embarrassed. So Kennedy, um, he made a bold, a bold statement here and uh it was uh, i'll just read part of it here it says there is no strife no prejudice no national conflict in outer space as yet its hazards are hostile to us all its conquest deserves the best of all mankind and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation many may never come again but why some say the moon why choose this as our goal they may as well ask why climb the highest mountain why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? 
By the way, he gave the speech in Houston. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> a little, little bit of a, you know, a little bit of pandering there. But hey, he was a politician. He said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone and one which we intend to win and the others too. Uh, This was a ballsy declaration considering at the time, we had no idea how to get somebody on the moon. No uh, idea. No you hire clue. Stanley Kubrick. Everyone knows that. Sure. <laughs> sure. We didn't have the faintest clue how to get onto the moon. We sure as hell hadn't figured out how to land on the fucking moon or to get out and walk around on the moon or to return, lift off from the moon and return safely to earth. It was desperation. This was war. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of the few I've heard talk about how reminding people of historical context that we were at war. This was, this was the cold war against the communists. That was why we put so much money into this, into space, into NASA. It wasn't because we had these high, high Star Trek ideals of uh, space exploration. No, we were at war. We were trying to beat the commies. So we were seeking high ground against the Soviets. So, uh, and uh, we did it sadly, obviously JFK did not live long enough to see it. He was assassinated, but, in 1969, uh, this was, uh, you know, so eight years later, after he gave the speech, we were putting people on the moon. Um, that's, it's, it's an, it's just a crazy cool story, but, uh, that's the power of what, um, Theodore Roosevelt called the bully pulpit. Um, the presidency is the bully pulpit being able to stand up there, uh, uh, and, and it just sort of through sheer force of personality, move the nation one direction or the other, even though you have no legislative ability yourself as the executive, you, you can move mountains through the power of your personality and speech and direction alone. Um, and JFK knew it and he used it and, uh, it worked. Damn chills. Eric. I got chills. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Put on a jacket. Speaking of chills, the temperature is supposed to drop like a son of a bitch next week. Did you see it? Yeah. It's supposed to go to 27 on uh, next Friday. As the high, 27 for a high. I know. Yeah, I say it was supposed to drop down to very near single digits. A big cold That's snap coming our way. Crazy <clears> stuff. <throat> um, I knew that you would have all these awesome historical uh, speeches, so that's why I kept uh, kept it to movies for me. That away. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> okay, excellent. So fifth and final for me. So <clears throat> this one is interesting because... It's, it, it's different because it, it, it's pretty short, so it could be classified as dialogue and not necessarily a speech, but I think it's still beautiful. And it is from the movie Blade Runner. Uh, Rutger Hauer, who plays Roy Batty, he is an android, essentially, a replicant. And uh, the whole idea is, is Deckard is trying to, Harrison, Ford, Harrison Ford's character is trying to hunt him down to um, retire him, to kill him, basically. Because replicants who go rogue, um, you know, they're not supposed to live past four years, but they can cause havoc and so on and so forth. Um, the movie, uh, Philip K. Dick story, uh, was adapted into the film. And the film deals with a lot of what is humanity and what it means to be a human. And that's all that these replicants want to do. Roy Batty just wants to live and be a human, and he doesn't mean to be a bad guy. So I would rank him as one of the most sympathetic villains of all time. And um, he sums that up at the end of the film. 
in he sums that up at the end of the film in a very very beautiful way right before he knows that he's about to expire to die he says i've seen things you people wouldn't believe <laughs> attack ships on the on fire off the shoulder of orion i watch sea beams glitter in the dark near tanauser gate all of those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain time to die so it really puts in mortality um, and and that idea that we are just going to have memories and then just be dust. Um, and it, it, it's very morose, but it's also beautiful because that's all that that happens. Like tears and rain, they're going to be lost forever, these these memories and these experiences. Um, but that's a that's a big reason why I travel and do all the things that I want to do is to experience life. And I think it's beautifully said by Rutger Hauer in Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, I bought that movie and I have not seen it yet. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably you don't have a blaster already, like a, a Deckard right blaster. Here. I got the, yeah, yeah. I got this blaster right here. Got a little nerf blaster. Yeah. A little nerf. <laughs> that blaster. works too. That's yeah. pretty, pretty close. That's no, really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. Sweet. I'll go down the list and I apologize if it, uh, if it skips. So Tom has Team America, Dicks, Pussies, and Assholes, Scrooged, Bill Murray's Speech, Braveheart, Freedom, Pulp Fiction, Jules's Speech, and Rocky Balboa. That's what winners do. Eric has Teddy Roosevelt, Citizens in Citizenship in a Republic, Lou Gehrig, Farewell to Baseball. Winston Churchill, We Shall Fight. Dwight D. Dwight D. Eisenhower, Farewell Address. And John F. Kennedy Jr., The Decision to Go to the Moon. Is he John F. Kennedy Jr.? No, John F. Kennedy Sr., The Decision to Go to the Moon. Zach has it in the movie Independence Day, President Whitmore. The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Aragorn at the Black Gates. The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Sam's Speech to Frodo. Miracle, Herb Brooks, uh, The Miracle on Ice. And then Blade Runner, Roy Batty. Let's not forget the ride of the Rohirrim speaks as well. Oh, I know. And it was too short for me, though. So that's why I was like, death to ruin and world ending. Yeah. A ride for ruin and world ending. Oh, God. Okay. Tears. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Top 5 Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Podcast Top 5, at ZachDale60, at TomTop5, and at SnackBurglar where you can give us ideas, tell us if we're crazy, or even suggest a topic for a future episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Thank you, and remember, it's okay to be wrong, even if you think you're right. It usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech. Mark Twain. (laughs) Love it. Love that Mark Twain. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.